0: Welcome to the Wake Up Your Warrior podcast with me, Christine Cohen. Every week, we will share conversations with humans whose lives have been transformed by the power of movement on their mental health, break down the latest neuroscience, and hopefully inspire you to wake up your inner warrior to fight for the best versions of you every single day. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to today's podcast episode. So, continuing off, this is the second video in our series talking natural strategies for depression. If you haven't watched or listened to the first um, chat, just go back to the podcast right before this and you can catch up on that. Um, Today, we're going to be diving into a little bit more about the deep root cause, not only of depression and other cognitive issues, but also a lot of chronic diseases. And spoiler alert, it's inflammation. But inflammation is such a hard term to like really conceptualize, I found personally in my mind. So I really break this topic down in a way that's really understandable with a lot of examples and a lot of info. We're also gonna dive into gut health and fight or flight, As well as the calming response so we got a lot of really great things that we're talking about here on the second day of this workshop so tune in get ready to take some notes or just listen and kind of just retain the information if you do want to watch the video and bonus you get some captions at the bottom of the video which always helps me retain the information so much better when I can see visuals and then I can see the words to what I'm listening to. You can click uh, the link in the show notes right here and you can get the link to the video. So all you'll do is just enter your email address and then you will be emailed the direct link and you can watch the workshops instantly. And even if you want to listen to it on podcast right now, you can definitely do that so you have those videos when you are home and you feel like doing a little bit more of a deep dive with me. All right. So without further ado, let's get into day two of natural strategies for depression. Hello, everybody. Welcome to day two, natural solutions for depression, workshop day two. What is going on? I am still so excited um, just off of the energy from yesterday, whether you watched it live or whether you watched it later on the replay, which you would have gotten in your email. um, You guys seem to really be resonating with what I'm sharing. It sounds like this is not necessarily brand new information to you, which is good. And that's why today we're going to take a deeper dive. We're going to go into a little bit more detail, get into like the nitty gritties of um, how to actually start to heal yourself and really look at one of the major root causes that seems to kind of be at the root of everything, spoiler alert, um, at least in terms of chronic disease. So I'm excited to dive in with you today. I'm going to share my screen and we're going to kick it off. And don't, uh, don't forget that you have the chat here to um, right here on on the Facebook or if you are watching the replay, you have the chat at the bottom right of your screen to say hey, to say what you're feeling, to say what's resonating, to share the homework, to share a bit about your own story. Um, so that I can get to know you better, and then I can really uh, tailor what we're talking about in a way that is for you, if you know what I mean, Um, is really understandable from your own perspective. I did a QA and a last night on Instagram. It's still up on my news feed, or whatever it's called, your profile feed, if you wanted to watch it. And it ended up being like 50 minutes long, but we went through some questions that I was getting. We went through some common mistakes, mistakes actually that I made in my personal journey when I didn't know any better. And I wanted to share these mistakes with you so that you don't have to make them, so that I can make them for you and therefore you can just kind of press fast forward and not take that direction because it will just prolong your recovery, really. So today, as you know, is day two, and I'd love to know what resonated with you from yesterday. So if you haven't shared that yet with me, please please do so now. Some of the things that you guys have already shared from yesterday include just that you feel inspired that mental illness is okay and it is a challenge, but you can work through it. I really appreciated hearing that. Um, just in general, just resonating with my story, Thank you for sharing that. Unfortunately, mental illness, whatever it is, mood disorder, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar, is still super stigmatized. And it's becoming unraveled, but it's still going to take some work. It's still going to take some doing. So Um, Another thing that you guys shared was that you want to bring positivity and open mind and an eagerness to learn to this workshop over the next week, which is such a great mindset. Another review said that a lot of things resonated. This information about serotonin deficiency and low serotonin not actually being a root cause of depression resonated, so a lot of really positive things. Some of you have explored other I would say just like diets that were similar or at least used in a therapeutic way to discover what foods really didn't jive well with your body and what maybe you had to eliminate and we're going to talk through a little bit more on that today so yesterday we learned the number one root cause of depression undervalued root cause of depression And we talked about some myths and misconceptions. We also spoke about the uh, 11 known physiological root causes of depression that are known at least right now. And we focused on nutrient deficiencies. We focused on not having an optimal nutrition where you're getting the foods that are really going to help not only heal your body, but optimize your function of your brain and body, and we also touched on blood sugar imbalances and how this is such a, an issue for depression and mood and anxiety. Today, we're gonna focus more on food sensitivities and get more into the root behind the root, <laughs> the root of all roots. <laughs> we're gonna talk about gut health and inflammation and a little bit about how that's tied into the immune system and how that all flows into depression. But before um, we do that, I want to make sure that you know what today's giveaway is. And just in case you missed it, I will announce or have announced the giveaway winner from day one, which was a month-long um a month-long free access to the warrior team workouts which was great i announced the winner in the facebook group and i'll also share it in the email it's gonna go out today so yay super exciting congratulations and um today's giveaway is going to be a free mental health nutrition coaching session with me a one-on-one session about 45 minutes and we will chat it up and I'll get to really hear what it is that you're struggling with. And then we will set a few goals together on how to initially like kickstart you uh, and what is going to work best. So that is a $200 value that time, that one-on-one time. So this for free is like, use me. (laughs) If you win it, use me for sure. Okay, so let's dive in. Today we're going to focus on food sensitivities and intolerances. We're going to focus on gut health weaknesses and the microbiome, and we're also going to talk about chronic stress and inflammation. Super exciting. Tomorrow we're going to get into more of these psychological pretenders, which you can see down at the bottom. Thyroid dysfunction and autoimmune and hormone imbalances, as well as infections, genetic variance, etc. So that's gonna be a fun-filled day as well. So I want you to take a nice deep breath in and out through your mouth. And let the day just kind of leave, you know, let the day go, whatever's going on today and just be here for yourself. And I'm gonna have you close your eyes And as you do that, I want to know what comes up when you ask yourself, what in your lifestyle, your day-to-day things, what do you notice affect your depression and anxiety? Maybe make it better, relieve it, or what makes it worse? You may have thought about this in the realm of psychotherapy. But what in the realm of physical choices, whether it's what you're eating or drinking, how much sleep you're getting, whether sleep is an issue for you, but how good it feels when you do get even a couple more hours of quality sleep. What medications, what chemicals, what other irritants, stressors in your life actually exacerbate your depression and anxiety? And on the other hand, What comes to mind that makes it better, makes you calmer, makes you feel more like yourself? Mm, Yes, circumstances and sleep, those can be big. So feel free to share those with me as they're coming up for you. And I'm asking you to notice that because today we are going to reflect and note and learn about what are some things that maybe we didn't even realize are having an impact on our mental health. Maybe not in substantial ways where we can see it every single day, but because they're so minuscule and so little that they are unnoticeable and they compound day after day after day after exposing ourselves to the same thing. And all of a sudden, one day, boom, it's like, we, hit out of, we get hit out of nowhere. We can't think straight. We feel overwhelmed. We feel like we have brain fog. We feel fatigued. Why is that all happening? So at the source of depression, research is finding, is really chronic inflammation. Depression symptoms are really the manifestation of many downstream effects on our hormones, on our brain chemicals, but if we were to look upstream at the source, we are going to often find a lake, like a giant lake of inflammatory markers, of inflammation. The source of the inflammation could be a single thing like a dietary ingredient, for example, gluten or dairy, that the body is adversely reacting to, Or, as it more than likely is, is a collection of things that have an indirect effect on the brain because it's just chronically impacting our system and our stress response. The research is incredibly compelling and is now exploring the use of actually using immune-altering medication to treat depression. The new model of depression reveals how interconnected all of our systems are. Remember when I said yesterday, we're not just looking at one system. We're not just looking at the brain. We're looking at the body as a whole because so much is playing a role. From the gut to the brain to the immune system, it's totally beyond beyond a one gene, one disease, one pill, narrow perspective. In fact, the field of psychiatry has actually known about the role of the immune system in depression for almost 100 years. But finally, the research and the practice is catching up, and they're revealing the impact of immunity of our our body's immune system, of chronic inflammation, our gut microbiome, which means our gut bacteria, and our mental health and how it's all connected. So I used to have a really hard time grasping the concept of inflammation. Like I understood when I got a cut or a burn or an allergic reaction or if I like sprained my ankle that there would be inflammation, right? Like your ankle looks swollen or your body is doing the inflammatory response to help support the wound healing. Where you have allergies, right? Let's just say like you walk into someone's house and you're allergic to cats, and they have like one cat <laughs> or ten cats, and all of a sudden, you know, your sinuses, everything up in your nose gets really um, inflamed. I understood that, but I could not grasp what chronic inflammation is. I'm like, how does that equal inflammation in the body? So I had to put this in to a concept that I understood, and in a very simplified way, this is how I grasp it. So. Chronic inflammation, which is what we're talking about that is at the source of depression, as well as all these other diseases that you can see listed here, including cardiovascular disease and autoimmune diseases, cancer, fibromyalgia, other neurological diseases as well, um, is this. So when I think about inflammation, like in my gut, for example, or in my um, tissue, in my body, I think about it through having like gum inflammation, like inflammation in your mouth. And how many of you have had like your gums are inflamed and you know how uncomfortable it is, right? Like you go to brush your teeth and you're like, oh God, this hurts. This is so painful. Sometimes your gums are bleeding, it makes them become more inflamed. Or sometimes when you eat certain foods, especially like raw food or salad or vegetables that are really rough and you have that gum inflammation and you're like oh i just it hurts too much to eat it right and it's actually inflaming the gut the gums even more that's how i think about gut inflammation and cellular inflammation because it's so irritated that even things that are um like in the internal lining of our gut if you could think about gum inflammation and how sensitive that is what that might look like on the inside of your gut lining right like of course if you ate anything that was a little bit more rough or a little bit more like irritating that's going to inflame the gut even more that's not going to help heal it no of course not that makes sense so even things that can be good for us like brushing our teeth or eating rough vegetables might be really irritating when the gums are inflamed. So that's just one way that I sort of wrap my mind around what inflammation is. Another way to think about inflammation and oxidative stress is cell damage. The cells in our body are not whole. They are in some way damaged, whether it's the lining of the cell that's damaged or something that's going on within the actual cell. So the cell itself is is not physically Optimal, not physically whole. So that's another way to think about it. It wasn't even until 2015 that, so that's relatively recent, right? Like less than 10 years ago, that we even knew that the brain um, had its own way of detoxing itself. So, really, a lot of what we've learned is that there are A lot of what we learned about the brain's immune system and brain inflammation is really only being discovered in the last like 10 to 15 years. The the brain has its own detoxification system. The body does as well. It's called the lymphatic system. But it really wasn't only discovered that the brain had its own way of detoxing itself until 2015. And this plays a huge role in our mental health because if Chemicals and other sorts of toxins, um, even just you know cells that have we have no longer a need for are just building up in the the area of our brain, and it's not detoxing properly. We're going to have some sort of neuro inflammation, brain inflammation. Sleep is such a huge part of the detox brain process. Almost each night, I I'd, I'd use the example of our brain takes a shower every time we get a really good night's sleep and we get into a certain cycle of sleep where it allows all of that detox to happen. So that is one of the other reasons why we feel so great when we do finally get good night's sleeps. All right, so we talked about what inflammation is on the acute level and the chronic level. But basically, what we wanna know is, what are the triggers for chronic inflammation? And basically, those triggers can be toxic to our cells. And it's often silent and ongoing within us for a long time before we even know what's happening until it increases to a certain point that we start to notice its effects. Pain in your joints with rheumatoid arthritis would be an example of finally noticing it, right? Gut pain. But interesting enough, the brain doesn't have any pain receptors, so we can't feel brain inflammation. We can't feel achiness in the brain. But we can experience neurological issues which are reflective of brain inflammation. So how does our brain become inflamed? How do we even know if this is happening to us? Well, there are inflammatory markers that are seen to be elevated in those with inflammation in the body. And those are noticed in those with depression as well. These inflammatory markers can be tested in your blood. You can absolutely go to your doctor and have them test for some of these and see if their levels are abnormally high. But basically, measuring them in the blood, and we want to show, excuse me, and these markers, like I said, have been shown to relate directly to a diagnosis of depression. And they can even be predictive of depression. When scientists give people medications that are known to increase these inflammatory chemicals in our body, almost half of them develop depression. So if we in like purposely increase, or if you're given a medication that's going to increase these flat inflammatory markers, which a lot of medications can do, um, 50% of the people that they do that to develop depression. In um, depression, bipolar disorder, and even postpartum depression. Research has found that your body loses its ability to receive the messages that the body is stressed when these inflammatory markers are happening chronically. So there's an inflammatory state that's continuing in your brain and body, but the body is not sending out those anti-inflammatory responses because it's not getting the signal. So you can think about this as like a fire right? When there's a fire, God forbid, in someone's, let's just say like a house, the smoke alarms go off, right? What if those smoke alarms are turned off or desensitized for some reason and they can no longer tell that there's a fire? They're not going to go off and the fire is going to continue, but we are not going to know that there is inflammation or a fire in our brain or body unless those um, anti-inflammatory responses are going off. So that's why it's so important to get these uh, blood markers tested if you feel like this could be something you're going through. And those include highly sensitive C-reactive protein. I would definitely write these down. Homocysteine. There are different cytokines such as interleukin one and six that can be tested and then tumor necrosis factor alpha or tnf a research has found though that people with higher levels of inflammatory markers in their lab work are actually more likely to respond to anti inflammatories than antidepressants. So, this is one particular reason why um, this could be happening when it comes to treatment resistant depression, which is really exciting news. Like, this is really powerful. This reason is also um, could explain why, for example, curcumin, which is the antioxidant that's found in turmeric, so you could see the yellow turmeric over here. This is one of the reasons why curcumin is a powerful, um, and which is a powerful natural anti-inflammatory, has actually been found to be equivalent and sometimes superior to Prozac, the antidepressant medication, and is especially effective when medication isn't. And it's possible that this could be used as a solution for treatment-resistant depression. Now, the it's really important when it comes to any supplement that it is a, of a high enough quality, number one, that is very important because often supplements on the market can say that there's a certain um, amount in that supplement, but there actually is very minute levels. Um, another thing is, sorry, one second, is the dosage per person that is going to be extremely important as well because you could take curcumin just like as maintenance, which is great, but that level would be lower than for someone who needs it therapeutically and that would be uh, higher. Another is the form of the nutrient. So there's been tons and tons of studies on, for example, curcumin and when it comes to the form of the nutrients, there can be a few different forms, and some can be better absorbed by the body than others. When it comes to curcumin, there are uh, a few brands that I recommend that are in a high enough dosage as well as the right form that is best absorbed with the body. Um, in general, if you just have like curcumin on your You know in your medicine cabinet right now it's best recommended that one it's taken with um, some sort of black pepper so like um, sometimes it's included in the actual supplement itself and the other thing that you want there to be present is a fat like olive oil coconut oil so it's great when you combine the curcumin with a meal because you'll tend to have fat there and you can even add some black pepper, and that could increase the bioavailability just at home. Um, In the course that I'm creating, I will talk more about the dosages because it does depend per person, Um, but there are um, some really great ways of doing this and a therapeutic dosage, someone wouldn't stay on it for a terribly long time. Okay, so there are many cases that inflammation tends to be generated from our gut, which that might not be new information, but for a long time it was really like not even believed that our gut and our brain could have anything to do with each other, that the food that we ate could have any impact on our gut health, our mental health, and it was almost like looked at like you're even crazy for thinking that mostly coming from the conventional medical community, actually. And it was one of the things we're going to talk about in a second, which is leaky gut, which is small gaps in the lining of the gut that develop over time due to different stressors, was not even taken to be believed as a real issue. And there was kind of a battle between conventional medicine and functional medicine. in. Um, If this was like an actual real thing that was happening and of course now it's pretty much accepted that of course yes this is something that is very real and actually happening more and more and is something that we need to keep our eyes on so how are the brain and the gut connected well the gut has garnered the nickname the second brain because it's made from like when we're growing in utero it's made from the same material as the brain So it comes from the same um, cells and neurons, et cetera. The brain, excuse me, the gut actually has neurons that are all spread throughout it. But there are three distinct ways that the gut and brain are connected. The first is through our gut bacteria or our gut microbiome. There are hundreds of trillions of bacteria that are living in our gut and truly we owe our life to them. Like we could not live unless we had gut bacteria in our system which is why when the balance goes awry when the balance of let's say good and bad bacteria or the ratios start to become imbalanced we start to not function great it even goes so far as to show that when um they've been (laughs) this sounds really fun but um what's really interesting is that they've done it in Research with mice, and they're also doing it in um, human treatments now. But they're actually showing that the gut bacteria can so much influence your um, anxiety feelings, your um, angst, your worry, your in, like those sorts of feelings. And so, when they put um, the gut bacteria of a calm person. Work like in the mice study, like a calm mouse. They put it into the microbiome of the stressed human. It actually helps calm them. That's how powerful these gut bacteria are to our brain. So they literally do like a bacteria transplant. How do they do it? It's actually done through stool, which is which is interesting, <laughs> but it's really amazing um, the results that they're getting from it. So. The second way that gut and brain are connected is through the immune system. And the immune system, if you, which is kind of interesting to think about, the majority of our body's immune system is actually located in and around our gut. That's how powerful it is. If you think about it, it totally makes sense. We're gonna get into a few more reasons why, but one of the ways that a pathogen a virus, a bacteria, um, something that can, you know, a toxin that can harm our body, one of the ways that it can get into our system is through our mouth and down into our digestive system and down into our gut. So the fact that that happens all day every day for the most part, whether we're drinking something or we're breathing or we're like inhaling stuff through our mouth, um, we're eating certain foods, of course the gut is going to have to be one of the first lines of defense for our immune system. The other things that also contribute to our immune system are our skin right, and our lungs and our nasal cavity. The third way that the gut and brain are connected is through the vagus nerve. So this is a nerve that starts at the brainstem and it actually splits and comes down both sides of the neck and then pretty much like spreads throughout the entire body and has a connection to almost every single organ, piece of our body connecting back up to our brain. When it comes to brain-related non-gut symptoms, which I seem to be... I see happening more and more. Things that we don't even recognize could be a gut health symptom are actually totally f- stemmed from inflammation in the gut. So not only depression and anxiety, but also insomnia, those feelings of fatigue, memory issues, confusion and other neurogenerative diseases. As well as things such as autoimmune disease Hashimoto's thyroiditis, something we're gonna talk about tomorrow, as well as even like skin disorders, acne, psoriasis, eczema, things like that. So it is mighty and powerful. So one of the things I wanna talk about that starts to cause chronic inflammation and then leads to brain inflammation is leaky gut. So if we think of inflammation like a fire, leaky gut is going to, could start the fire as well as fan the flames once the fire is going. So what is leaky gut? So without going into too much science, I want to really just to grasp the concept. If this is what your body normally looks like inside of your gut lining, right? These are your cells. This is the inside of your gut. This is your bloodstream. This is where the food is. The food is right is right there. Normally, the tight cells are so close together that only like vitamins and minerals and the very, very, very small components um, that our body breaks down into food can get through the gut lining, get absorbed into the bloodstream, and then have access to our body, delivering nutrients where they need to go. That makes sense, yeah? When we have leaky gut, what's happening is the tight junctions the spaces between the cells start to open and become bigger due to the gut lining being compromised. These junctions almost act as gatekeepers for our body's immune system, and they only are supposed to allow what the body needs to get through. The tight junctions greatly influence our levels of inflammation, and when this gut barrier is damaged and those cells' uh, linings start to open a little bit more, A huge spectrum of our health can be at risk. So, as these tight junctions start to open, and we'll talk about what causes them to even become, you know, perforated, it's called, or permeable. Undigested food particles can slip through, cell debris can slip through, bacteria components can slip through, endotoxins can slip through, which means just toxins that come from within our own body. And they can sneak into the bloodstream and they can start to have access to our entire body and brain. What's even more um, alarming is that once these toxins sneak into the blood, some are also able to trespass the blood-brain barrier, bringing pl- pro-inflammation there as well. So just like we have a gut-lining barrier, we also have a brain barrier, a blood-brain barrier. And that works similarly to this leaky gut where all of a sudden things can start to leak through into the brain causing inflammation there. So what are some of the causes of leaky gut? Well, from foods such as gluten, processed sugar, artificial sweeteners, casein, which is a protein in dairy, processed vegetable oils, other things such as genetically modified foods, pesticides and chemicals that go along for the ride on those genetically modified foods alcohol certain medications such as your typical tylenol and aspirin antibiotics and medications can cause leaky gut other sorts of treatments like chemotherapy and radiation stress alone psycho psychosocial stress and unresolved emotional trauma can also start to disrupt the gut oxidative stress which is that intracellular cell damage heavy metal that we get exposed to like mercury in our food especially in tuna bacterial viral infections fungal infections parasite infections such as SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth which you might have heard of or candida infections which is an overgrowth of the fungus candida toxins chemicals pesticides you name it this is going to exacerbate and even cause the leaky gut happening. And think about it. We're exposed to this stuff all the freaking time. We don't even know it. It's just in our environment. We're breathing it in. We're eating it. We're putting it into our system day after day after day. And after a while, the primary line of defense is going to start to weaken if we're not supporting it. So leaky gut can lead to leaky brain, which is where we start to experience causing of depression, causing of more prone to anxiety and things like that. So let's focus in a little bit more on one aspect of how the brain and gut are connected, which is the gut microbiome our gut microbes, the bacteria that live, that are a part of us, they're our friends, we need them. We literally wouldn't be able to live and function if we didn't have these bacteria. Like That's how important they are. They play a huge role in our immune system and they also work with our hormones, especially our stress hormone cortisol. But they're also responsible for so many other things. Literally, it helps us make nutrients. Some of the foods that we eat, we can't just absorb the nutrients from the plants as is. The gut bacteria are what help take the plant and create and synthesize the vitamin that we as humans can then absorb and utilize. If the presence of the gut bacteria wasn't there, we would not be able to synthesize certain things, one of them being um, like B vitamins and stuff like that. As I said before, uh, yesterday serotonin is one of the hormone, is one of the brain chemicals that's produced in our gut, like 95% of it. Well, gut bacteria are what play a role also in making that brain chemical. It's also going to help us digest food. It They tell our body when to turn up the cortisol and adrenaline response, which play a role in our immune system, and also when to turn it down. As I mentioned before, 80% of our immune system is located in our gut. And this intestinal wall is our border to the outside world, the outside of protecting us against harming bacteria and sickening viruses and parasites. It helps act as a detoxification machine. It breaks down, or excuse me, it produces its own antibiotic substances when needed. It helps regulate our inflammatory pathways, which can cause chronic disease. And it's in constant communication, notifying the rest of the body, like red flag, harmful substance in the gut, like be on alert body, be on alert. So it plays so many roles. So you can imagine that if the balance of good and bad bacteria starts to really become out of balance, these functions are not going to work properly. Another thing that affects um, you know, our, us everyday life is as those, um, let's say, bad bacteria start to grow and thrive, they actually feed on different foods. So did you know that the food you eat helps feed your own bacteria? That's what prebiotics are, P-R-E, prebiotics. They're actually the food that the good bacteria lives on and keeps them alive and thriving. But when our bad bacteria's levels start to increase, they want other food. And you know what kind of food they, they actually want? Is they thrive on processed sugar. They thrive on alcohol. They thrive on processed foods and seed oils and all those other things, which actually increase it, like makes us crave them. So, in part, cravings come from those bacteria. So, what hurts and helps our gut microbiome? How can we know what is helping, what's hurting? What interferes with these microbes? Well, actually, in the early stages of our life, even before we come out of The body of our mom's body Um, this is really starting to set the stage for our microbiome in fact how we're born whether c-section or vaginally really sets the stage for the very first like dose of microbiome bacteria into our system breastfeeding also makes a difference here any infections that we get as kids antibiotic use can really deplete our gut bacteria in a way that is very detrimental um, there is no one universal healthy microbiome like there's no one attainable microbiome that we're all trying to get to like it has to have 20 percent of this bacteria and three percent of that bacteria and five percent of no It has a lot to do. what is optimal for each of us has a lot to do with, where our ancestors came from, and the environment that they lived in and grew up in. It's not necessarily that one microbiome is better than the other, that when it's optimal, it's just different. And we need to discover what's best for us and what helps us feel our best. So it's not so much about getting rid of all the bad and only having good, It's more about the overall diversity and the ratios of the types of bacteria relative to one another. Some of the other things that can hurt or help our gut microbiome are um, exercising, moving our body, are how much we handle stress when um, when we meet it, how we manage stress, the antibiotic usage that we have, and how we maybe counteract that with probiotics and other gut healing things. Our age is also going to play a role here, but is not an end-all, be-all factor. Our gastric motility, which is how fast we can digest food and how things move through our gut. Um, Our gastric secretions, which means like our um, digestive enzymes and the acids that we release to digest food our diet, and as I mentioned before, mode of delivery. So there are some things that we can do something about, some things we can't, right? Like we can't go back in time and change how we came into this world, but we absolutely can do something about it now. So the gut and brain are directly linked, as I mentioned before, through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is part of our autonomic nervous system, which to me just sounds like our automatic nervous system. The things that happen that we don't have to really think about like our heart beating and digestion. So that is what, it, when it comes to that. So it plays a role directly in our stress response, in our fight or flight response. It actually helps us regulate between that fight or flight response and what I call relaxation mode. Relaxation mode is where we can rebuild and repair. Fight or flight is when our immune system and our body is on alert and we need to be like vigilant. All of us have experienced fight or flight. In the short term, it's like that feeling of, oh my gosh, like almost, yeah, let's just say like almost gotten into an accident that kind of feeling. Or you feel like, oh my gosh, who's behind me? We all know that feeling. And the feeling of it or the issue of it is when it happens chronically. When it happens chronically, we experience it as anxiety and panic and that constant fear and constant worry and constantly on edge, um, constantly irritated. This is also where panic attacks can stem from. This is where binge urges stem from. And it is the yellow section here. It's also known as the sympathetic nervous system. Where we want to be is here in the green section, which is also known as the parasympathetic nervous system, which I like to think of as a parachute, parasympathetic parachute. Like if you were parachuting down out of the sky, it's very relaxing. It's very calming. It's very, you know, you can enjoy the view kind of thing. And this is where we function, our brains function as our most optimal selves. We feel calm, we feel connected, we feel grounded, we feel mindful, we can be present. This is where we can be more open and curious instead of like fearful and closed. This is where we can offer compassion and empathy. Up here in the red section, which you can see is called freeze. This is when the body goes into like a complete freeze response, right? It's very clear. Like if you can just picture when you feel depressed, sometimes you can feel like immobile, right? Like you cannot, um, you just want to, you just feel numb to everything, right? Shut down, hopeless. This is an actual phase of the, um, of the vagus nerve response, okay? So it's very much decreased, um, or excuse me, it's very much increased arousal to the point where we sort of feel paralyzed. So all we are working on is how we can get into social engagement mode, even if it is for a small amount of time each day, and that we want to increase and compound and grow. Basically, we wanna send the body and the brain signals that we're safe. We want our mind to know that we're safe and we also want our body to know that it's safe. And not just know that it's safe, but actually be safe. We don't want it to be on alert, attacking every single thing that comes into our body when it's not necessary. So how do we support the physiological things to getting our body into social engagement? calm mode. Well, the first thing that we're going to have to do is identify in our own life and decrease or completely eliminate the top gut stressors that drive our bacteria dysfunction, our microbiome dysfunction, and inflammation. And the main stressors that we encounter every day our unmanaged food intolerances, so from gluten to soy to dairy to GMOs, anything that we are encountering that maybe is causing sensitivity and intolerances in our body that we are continuing to have is just going to cause more stress, is just going to cause more issues of leaky gut genetically modified foods, artificial sugars, antibiotics, and over-the-counter medications like NSAID, pain relievers, and acid reflux drugs as well. So what are some of the first like steps that we can start to do something? Because I want you guys to leave today having some action steps. So in the functional nutrition protocol, we use a gut healing method, and there's five steps to it. It's called the 5R protocol. It's really easy to understand, and this is how we bring our gut health back into balance. It's a therapeutic technique. So I'm gonna go through each of the five steps with you. So the first step is to remove what's causing inflammation or irritation in our gut. Now, here are the most common causes of food sensitivity when it comes to foods irritating our gut. They are dairy, gluten, grains, nuts or seeds, yeast, soy, caffeine, sugar, citrus fruits, eggs, nightshade vegetables, which are like tomatoes and eggplants, and processed foods foods containing artificial ingredients and colors, preservatives, etc. So my question to you is, when you think about this, think about what do you put into your body every day, over and over and over again? What could be contributing to poor gut health that you often eat and drink? Now, the point I wanna drive home is, when our gut is inflamed, even foods that are whole and would, m- people would think of as are healthy could be further irritating you. So that's why you see foods on here like citrus fruits and nightshades. Of course, you're going to recognize processed foods and alcohol are going to be irritating the gut. But other things like um, antibiotic use, constant use of, oh, I'm just going to pop an Advil here or there, Even birth control pills can cause irritation and inflammation. So, for a short time, how do we, you know, removing these things that cause inflammation, how do we even discover it? Well, there are food sensitivity tests, but they're actually not the best way to discover it because the results can be a little bit skewed or confusing. When we are experiencing inflammation and irritation, a lot of foods can come back as this is irritating or that is irritating. Even foods that we just eat every single day can come back as irritating. And it's not necessarily that that's true. But the best way and the cheapest way to do it is to do an elimination diet, is to do a therapeutic elimination of known food sensitivities. You don't have to do them all at once. You could pick a few to do at a time. Um, Another suggestion is to do a low FODMAP diet. FODMAPs are specific carbohydrates that are poorly digested for some people, especially people with dysbiosis, gut um, dysbiosis, and SIBO. So for a short time, a therapeutic removal of things that are inflaming or irritating your gut could mean reducing your vegetable intake especially vegetables that are high in insoluble fiber, or adapting how you eat these vegetables. So removing stems and peels from the vegetables and fruits that you eat, or not eating these foods alone on an empty stomach, and making sure that you're cooking them really well, so that there's no roughage. Think about back to the example I gave with the gums being inflamed. We wanna remove every single thing that could be Causing and contributing to that gut inflammation. So that would be step one. Other things that we would want to discover and then remove are gut pathogens. So things like SIBO, um, yeast overgrowth, chronic bacterial or viral infections, chemical toxins that we're using or taking in in our environment. And one of the best ways to do this is through a stool test. And you can order this um, and get the stool sample and send it in, and then you'll receive a full workup of all of the levels of bacteria and toxins and parasites and things like that, yeast, et cetera, that are in your body, and you can see if there is an overgrowth or an undergrowth of bacteria that are known to be pathogenic or um, helpful. So it gives a lot of information on the next steps if you were to get this t- tested. The second step is replace. After you remove the stressors, you want to replace nutrients and stomach acid, digestive enzymes, and bile, all things that are going to help support digestion. These are um, things that you can do to start doing that. You can take what's called betaine HCL, which is basically stomach acid, You can start taking bitter herbs, which can support the stomach acid levels. You can also start taking digestive enzymes. Now, you might be thinking, I I think I have high stomach acid because I always have acid reflux. So really interesting. Signs that you have low stomach acid actually get misdiagnosed as high stomach acid because the stomach is going to overproduce acid when it's needed, Um, which causes the heartburn and indigestion. Other signs that you have low stomach acid are brittle hair and fingernails, usually feeling unusually full even after a small meal, belching or bloating after meals, constipation, or diarrhea after heavy meals. Without adequate acid, we actually leave ourselves open to a decrease in our immune system, as well as we cannot absorb certain vitamins, especially B12. So B12 deficiency, you could be eating all the foods in the world, taking all the supplements in the world with B12, but if you have low stomach acid, your body is not able to break it down and absorb it. And as we mentioned yesterday, B12 is one of the most vital nutrients when it comes to our body and brain functioning aka our mental health i'm going to talk a little bit more about b12 tomorrow so how can you tell if you have low stomach acid so this is a way that you can test actually so you can um, purchase this betaine hcl you can get it on amazon i always recommend a high quality brand like thorn um, and you begin by taking a capsule around 500 milligrams of betaine hcl with a protein-containing meal, that's important. You wanna make sure you're eating protein with it. So a normal response in a healthy person would be discomfort, basically heartburn from taking that capsule. If you do not feel a burning sensation after that capsule, you can pretty much guarantee that you have low stomach acid. So then you would begin taking the betaine HCL therapeutically. You would up it to two capsules, or three capsules basically you basically you would up the amount that you take until you experience that heartburn feeling and then you would drop it down to that level where you do not experience it anymore so most people don't have to take this forever they actually only have to take it for about three to six months before their body adjusts to producing its own stomach acid again which is pretty great just a note here a precaution you should not take hcl or pepsin supplements if you have an ulcer. So just something to note, and of course, if you have any digestive issues, definitely run this by your doctor so that they know what you are doing. Other things that can help replace the stomach acid, like I mentioned, are taking bitter herbs like dandelion and fennel, golden seal, milk thistle, as well as taking digestive enzymes such as ox bile, pancreatin, bromelain, and ginger to help the stomach work. That's step one. All right, moving on to the third R, which is re-inoculate. So after we've moved through the first few steps and we're doing that consistently and seeing progress, then we start to add in pro and prebiotic supplements and foods. Um, probiotics are foods that do contain bacteria in them and help promote growth of the good bacteria in our gut. Prebiotics are the food that the bacteria thrive on. So an example of food probiotics would be fermented vegetables. Okay. An example of prebiotic food would be Um, like potatoes and rice and plantains, um, foods like that. Now, probiotics alone have been shown to influence mood, um, reducing systemic inflammation and stress. It helps us increase our tryptophan levels. Remember, we talked about tryptophan as um, as a part of protein that is needed to make serotonin. So that is one way that it can influence mood. Probiotics alone can normalize levels of stress, hormones, and help modulate our blood sugar balance. Research shows a significant improvement in depression and anxiety, as well as lower cortisol in otherwise healthy adults that take a regular probiotic supplement. All right, so fi- um, step four is repair. And when we talk about repair, we're talking about repairing the gut lining. And this is really like a proper healing stage. In this stage, you're gonna support intestinal cell regrowth and help probiotic bacteria really take up residence in your gut. They're not just visiting, they are setting up residence. This is gonna help reduce inflammation and establish healthy mucosa which basically all supports nutrients and foods that are critical to our cell structure and formation and our healing. Things like vitamins A, C and E and D, zinc, glutamate. When it comes to foods, things like cabbage juice, collagen, bone broth, that comes in at the repair stage. Things like NAC, which is a supplement and acetylcysteine, glutathione, aloe vera, other herbs like slippery elm and marshmallow root, all of these come in at the repair stage. These are just options and what works best for some and what works best for others, that's individualized. But the thing I want to really drive home with you is that these steps are in this order for a reason. If you introduce probiotics too soon by skipping the first two stages of removing the stressors and replenishing, you're going to interfere with this process. And on the other hand, if you introduce like fermented vegetables too soon or if you introduce um, other prebiotics too soon, you can actually like hurt the process and you would know that you're hurting the process because your symptoms aren't getting better and they might actually be getting worse. So it's really important to give yourself the adequate time for each of these steps before you rush to adding in the fermented vegetables and before you rush to adding in, you know, the probiotics and the other supplements that support repairing the gut lining. The last step is rebalance. And in this stage, you have your capacity to eat more foods than you ever did before, like even before you started this process, even before you started struggling probably. And alongside the capacity to eat more foods comes the energy to enjoy your life more, maybe even like throw a dinner party. (laughs) You'll be past any digestive problems you may have had, and you're going to be noticing a lot of other health improvements too. You would taper off that elimination phase, um, reintroducing foods, expanding your diet, expanding the things that you can tolerate now because your gut is no longer inflamed. And so it can tolerate a lot more. Of course, we don't want to put things back into our body every single day that are known to stress our gut out. Of course, we don't want to make that same mistake again. But we will have a stronger immune system so that when and if we do encounter it, we won't like be knocked back down. We'll also maintain GI health with sufficient fiber and probiotics, hydration, of course, lots of anti-inflammatory fruits and vegetables, mindful eating, the whole gamut. The stuff that you probably hear more often is going to help heal your gut, but you're rushing to the end line, the finish line, before you actually um, are doing the work to properly heal the gut. So I'm taking time to really share that because I feel like people make that mistake all the time, is they rush to take these supplements and do these all, all these gut healing protocols, but they're not taking the time to find out what is stressing the gut in the first place and how can we start to remove that stuff, whether it's a lifestyle choice or whether it's an actual like bacterial overgrowth. Um, And working with a functional medicine practitioner can really help you identify what those are, whether it's through the lab testing results or just through um, working one-on-one together. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up. Um, We've got into a lot of detail today. You have a worksheet that goes along with today's lesson as well. And of course, we have the um, some prompts and some, some questions for you to answer, such as, I would love to know, like what is it that um, you notice that you are doing in your lifestyle or you just encounter in your lifestyle that could be contributing to gut stress and chronic inflammation. So make sure that you download the worksheet and you answer the homework questions because you'll automatically be entered for the giveaway for today, which is the one-on-one coaching call with me, where we can dive in a little bit more into your individualized past and current and um, what steps you would need to take first and foremost to be on your way to healing. So I hope today was valuable. Um, Tomorrow, we're really going to get into some other root causes. Really, we're going to talk about um, these psychological pretenders, these physiological things that are happening in the body that manifest as depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. So tomorrow is a day you're not going to want to miss. And then I'm also going to talk to you tomorrow about the natural solutions program which will take you step by step and is really like diving into this. If you really want to take yourself into your own healing protocol and really have the professional guidance along with empowering yourself within your own life, um, this is the program that's going to be for you. So you're not going to want to miss out on that. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'm excited to hear what you thought about today's uh, workout, workshop. (laughs) And um, I'll see you tomorrow at 12. All right, bye-bye, everybody.